technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... There are companies that already had a certain uh, e-commerce layer, and they're now uh, able to accelerate that. I think that the most successful companies today are, are not the ones that are just now starting with digital transformation or with digital uh, tools. The companies that are doing quite well today already had a track record in using digital technologies. They already had a, a certain e-commerce business in place. Um, so they can now accelerate on that behavior that they already had. So it's not just only the front end, how you shop or interact with a, with a business. You're listening to the Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. COVID-19 is accelerating the adoption of technologies that would have taken years or decades to go mainstream. Take the lowly QR code. In 2011, only 4% of Americans had ever scanned one of these 2.0 versions of the barcode. You've seen them. Those collections of squares that look like a Space Invaders video game machine from 1977 blew up or something. You see them on restaurant tables everywhere today. So for my first dinner out on a patio since lockdown, I asked my waiter if she waited on 10 tables. How many customers would have scanned the sticker on the table instead of asking for a menu? She said nine. 90% knew to hit the code. Nick DeMay is a principal at the Board of Innovation. He helps companies understand how to evolve in this low-touch economy under this new normal. I began by asking him to define not low-touch, but... How do you define the new normal? If we look at the low-touch economy, what we see as the new normal, we mainly look at three elements. So one, of course, is the, the different changes that are happening due to the pandemic itself, so the health crisis, but that, that's as this this has less of our uh, attention. Our most focus today is on the changes in human behavior and uh, economic disruption it creates. So basically the new ways how companies and, and consumers are interacting with each other. That's uh, probably the most important uh, change. Well, you describe a feedback loop for the low-touch economy in which the longer the health measures sustain, the more fundamental the behavior shifts. What though of issues like Zoom fatigue, you know, what's the difference between a short-term solution and a long-term evolution? I think it's important to see, like, like most regions today, they have some kind of a, they had some kind of a lockdown experience. So everything was restricted and people had to change their behavior from one day to the other. Um, but it's important to look at uh, which of those elements uh, were just, yeah, temporary things uh, like an example on uh, uh, homeschooling and those things I don't think that any, any behavior has changed to homeschooling that that will stick because people uh, have their kids going to school and that's something that will probably not go back to but uh, people m did make some other changes like the adoption of a lot of new digital tools a lot of use of new e-commerce uh, a lot of aging or old elder uh, an older generation that's suddenly connected now to the internet or at least is using more uh, digital tools than, than before and then those kind of habits that, that create they create more convenience for people and those kind of habits will probably stay for a for a longer time 
So it sounds like what you're talking about is not a wholesale change in the way we live our lives, but an acceleration of the adoption of a variety of technologies and mindsets. Yes, indeed. So it's uh, there was a lot of uh, doomsday talk that the world will be would be totally different and so on. I think that's a, a new one. We have, I think, a more nuanced view. Uh, I also in many of our webinars and, and reports that what we do now we point out that a lot of things will bounce back to normal and that's what you already experienced in certain regions that that's already passed the, the peak of the crisis um but there are some certain things that that will be different from now on uh like the adoption of a lot of digital technologies you could look at uh domains that were a little bit more conservative like the the legal industry or um, industries that like on, on constructions and architecture. So there are certain domains where digital transformation was a little bit slow to uh, to go forward. And of course, then this crisis suddenly accelerated a lot of the, the adoption of those tools. So it's, it's for us, it's, it's as an innovator, it's quite an exciting time now to track what's, what's going on. Unfortunately, there's also the health crisis. So hopefully that will go away soon. But it's interesting as an innovator to see how many new tools and technologies are being uh, experimented now and how it, it changes the how it can influence the life of other people. You mentioned the legal industry as an example. I can imagine e-health is another one too, mm-hmm. where these were ancient industries. You know, I, I know when you buy a house, someone still uses a fax machine. So it sounds like what we're seeing here is we're dragging some of these older economy and older professions into the modern age. How do you go about doing that effectively? Because it's one thing just to sell everyone that they can jump on a Zoom call now, but there are going to be processes and there are going to be issues and protocols that need to be put in place. How do we ensure that our own organizations have that pivot in a positive fashion? Yeah, very, very good question. Many people look at in these changes, they will look at the technology, they will look at uh, uh, like adoption of new video tools or, or data management tools, but that's just an artificial layer. I think the more fundamental changes, what, what's most, I think what's uh, interesting to track is that in the back end, a lot of new uh, flows are being set up, a lot of policies are being adopted, and maybe a lot of the barriers that existed for, for years or decades, even in terms of uh, uh, laws and regulation, they were suddenly um, abundant or, or improved in a matter of weeks. So uh, local governments, they changed uh, regulations. So if, if let's say, if, uh, if you visit your doctor remotely, that, that it's okay with your insurers, that they can actually count as an official doctor's visit. So those barriers, they exist for a longer time. So if you're, uh, every company as well, they have a lot of policies in place, but they often align with the, re- the legal and the regulatory, regulatory frameworks of that uh, local uh, government. So if by tracking what's going on in, in changes in regulation and laws, uh, companies will also need to change their policies and that creates uh, new opportunities because you will take away hurdles that existed for decades that are now, uh, it's open territory now, you can actually use that open space now to, to innovate. So again, that's an exciting change that's happening. Less about the technology, more about uh, how the backend is now quickly uh, evolving. Well, let's talk a little bit about that technology, even though, as you point out, it's ultimately the societal change that will be the indelible mark that COVID-19 leaves. You plotted on a graph everything from the consumer adoption rate of the flush toilet to the microwave. As the rate of product adoption accelerates, can we connect that to permanent change in the way we operate thanks to COVID-19? Yeah, it's already due to, you know, due to the fact that people are more connected and information is more exchanged. You already see in the last few years that technology adoption is going quicker and quicker. So that's was already happening. What uh, this crisis now accelerated is that 
in a matter of weeks, many people were just forced to quickly start using new tools. Like a lot of a whole new audience is suddenly connected to online services to do their groceries online, to food ordering online, even to, to um, connect with their pharmacies online. And uh, that's something that will probably um, stay here for, for, a, for a longer time. Um, if you need to keep an eye on the influence of technology itself, um, Indeed, we, uh, we don't see as technology as the main driver in this, 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 this era. Uh, like you pointed out, there's a lot of, it's more impactful to see how is consumer behavior evolving, how society evolving. And the, 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 the technology out there is just an enabler. It's not that the crisis itself suddenly created uh, um, a lot of new patents or something or created a lot of new augmented reality tools. Those tools existed and are now are being adopted and used in a new way. People are improvising with the tools that they have. So people are using Zoom for babysitting or to facilitate your wedding. But those tools were never designed for that purpose. So the, probably the next wave in the year ahead, we will now see a lot of experiments with those technologies. People are, are trying those tools. Um, maybe people are socializing in, in online games because they feel disconnected from other people. Uh, and then those tools will be optimized for those new specific use cases. So that's... Um, if, if you're out there as an innovator, it's all interesting to see how people are experimenting with those uh, technologies for things that they were never designed for. So that's, um, yeah, that's something to keep an eye on, but not just the technology itself, but more how people uh, mix and match or remix uh, those tools for new use cases. So for people who may not have gotten involved in a Zoom conference call for you know some time because they never really found themselves in the need for it right away, or the uh, adoption of touchless, contactless banking type technologies at the retail level um, with your store that now has to only let one person in at a time, how many years did COVID push adoption forward, do you think, of any given technology? I think the CEO of Microsoft, I think they just said like, uh, it's about 10 years forced in two, three months uh, for certain technologies. So it's uh, it depends a little bit on, on the use case, but I can definitely definitely see that in, uh, like yeah, I mentioned the use of grocery sales or online banking. There was definitely a certain audience, uh, typically with older generations that were reluctant to uh, jump on, the, on this, this yeah, new behavior or jump on the, onto these new tools. Um, and there was never a real trigger why they should suddenly start using that. They had their way of working, they had certain habits. And people, yeah, it takes a long time or there's just a barrier that you won't know to do. But of course, if you're disconnected and just, you're forced to do that, then suddenly a large group is now uh, forced to, to, to try it out. And many people will now see like the, it offers create a lot of new convenience. It creates new access to tools. And um, yeah, in terms of timing, it depends a little on, on the context, but I, think I can indeed see that we, we accelerated a couple of years uh, in a matter of a couple of months now. So that's actually nice to see. Well, let's expand upon your idea that it's not so much about the technology as it is about how we as a society are evolving and we're just leveraging that technology. What about we as corporations? It's suggested that if you want to evolve, it's the business model that needs to evolve more than the actual product or service. How so? Yeah, also, it depends a little bit on the on the context, but overall, one of the big issues now in this crisis is that companies are disconnected from their customers. So meaning they maybe the traditional sales channel is disrupted because people might not be allowed to fully interact with their offline uh, retail or, or offline sales channels. Or the another big problem is that in certain areas, 
there's a big uh, change in uh, the type of demands. People have new priorities. So there's certain products that are being less in demand now, other products are being more in demand. So if you want to challenge that, uh, you need to sometimes redesign uh, your, your way of operating, your, maybe sometimes your full business model. So it's not just tweaking your product a little bit, adding a couple of features and it's being solved. You might have to look for a new type of audience, which in then which then would lead to a new type of sales and marketing channel. Maybe that leads to a new pricing model. So for some industries or some companies, they really need to reinvent themselves. For others, it's just a matter of okay, looking at uh, how do I connect again with my customers? Maybe just switching from uh, offline communication channels to more digital communication channels. Uh, but it, it's good to do this exercise. Even when the, uh, the need is not urgent today, many companies, and I think most companies experience now, that you need a certain level of flexibility. The market can change in a matter of weeks. So if you don't have those skills in-house to, to try new channels, to, to try new business models, then you, and you need to learn that from scratch when, it, when it's really needed, then of course you're uh, not in the best position. So even if you don't have the pressure now to innovate and to find new revenue uh, tomorrow, uh, it's always welcome to have the skills in-house to accelerate and to know how to do experiments um, within your company. Well, you've cited Whole Foods Market as an example of a low-touch economy shift. What permanent long-term evolution in Whole Foods has come out of COVID-19? There are companies that already had a certain uh, e-commerce layer, and they're now uh, able to accelerate that. I think that the most successful companies today are, are not the ones that are just now starting with digital transformation or with digital uh, tools. The companies that are doing quite well today already had a track record in using digital technologies. They already had an, a certain e-commerce business in place. Um, so they can now accelerate on that behavior that they already had. So it's not just only the front end, how you shop or interact with a bit of business. Uh, companies uh, like Whole Foods, they also have a, 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 a supply chain that already was optimized. They, have, uh, they use certain um, like dark stores or other type of supply chain solutions to have logistics processes in, in urban centers that are optimized for local logistics. So that's a lot of buzzwords together, but meaning that the, those companies already had flexible logistics solutions in-house. So they were able to, to deliver locally in a very efficient way. While you see other organizations in the same industry that they had some kind of a, uh, an e-commerce business in place, but it was more like a marketing gimmick on top, just to make sure that, that there is some kind of offering in place, but they could never scale up. So as soon as more people started ordering online, they could could just not follow. You had to, you had to wait suddenly weeks to get your products delivered. And yeah, they just made it clear, like certain companies were optimized already. They were ready to scale. Other companies are just taking their first steps now in this crisis. And unfortunately, they, they can't follow. So there's a big gap in the digital adoption in large companies. Some are just doing better already, but give it, I think give it a year, every company now has it clear on the radar, like it, it, these things can't be a, a side thing or a gimmick on within the organization. It needs to move forward and it needs to probably drive the, the business model innovation in the next few years. We've looked at fashion brand Zalando as an example, as one that has a broad infrastructure in-house to move into other business areas. How would you like to see a company like that evolve? You have businesses like Salando that are built on, on digital infrastructure. They have the right people in-house with the right mindset. They have the right process in place. But interesting here is a, a company like Salando. they're active in an industry that's also under pressure. People are not buying as many clothes today as you would normally do. So both of online and offline sales in fashion have dropped. So that means that the company, such a company with, the, with a lot of resources and skills, 
is under pressure and the, the companies like Solana are forced now to move into other spaces as well if, if the crisis continues. Uh, if you're a traditional player and you're suddenly being confronted with a player like Salando entering your market because their, their core market is under pressure, then you probably need to be a little bit more, more scared because those companies know how, how digital works, know how internet works. So if they suddenly start doing something outside of the space of fashion, uh, you, yeah, you probably can't follow as a, as a traditional uh, large corporate. So those companies are actually interesting to keep the to keep an eye on, and there are many of those digital players out there that are just being impacted by a drop in demand or being a change in, in the lifestyle. Um, but they, they know how how to how to pivot, and they know how digital era works already. So a company like Salando is definitely one to keep to keep an eye on. COVID nineteen though is just one trigger for change. You cite six industry shifts, new regulation, consumer behavior shifts, societal changes, uh, new resources, and new technology. What's the other shoe to drop here? What does COVID nineteen trigger to change next? I think companies were all optimized to work as efficient as possible, to maximize profits, to cut costs wherever as possible. As a result. Every company had very efficient supply chains, very efficient resource in-house. Everything was almost optimized. What this crisis now uh, showed was that many companies were actually vulnerable. If you if your supply chain uh, is being disrupted, you can't work with one very, very efficient supply chain towards China, or you only have one sales channel, and digital sales channel, or only one very narrow target group, you're quite vulnerable. So that's something that comes back in, in both industry shifts as in as in consumer behavior and so on. So companies who are often focused and, and optimized for one specific uh, audience with, with, a, with one operating model in place optimized for that use case. Um, many companies, I think, realize now that it, is, it, it makes them vulnerable if, if uh, changes are happening. So maybe they will uh, create more redundancy right now, creating more... Um, different teams at different locations, different supply chains, that having multiple sales channels in place, uh, multiple uh, marketing solutions, so not just online, but also offline solutions. Um, because, okay, the crisis of COVID is, is one example, but yeah, many people really feel there's more stuff coming up. There's a rise in, in, uh, in many regions now, there's a, more tensions in terms of nationalism or populism. Uh, climate change is, is putting more and more pressure on society, so there might be some tipping points there as well. So companies do realize that there's a lot of yeah, potential new crisis already uh, yeah, coming up. So if they don't redesign their operating model, don't rethink their business model, they might be hit again uh, maybe in a couple of uh, months or maybe a couple of years. So it, it, it creates overall awareness that they have to, I think, look, look more for the different scenarios, what could happen in the near future. Because this crisis, of course, it was, it was something that was somehow predicted. It's not that it's completely out of the blue that it happens. It, it wasn't a radar of many people and, and many people told already like one day this could happen. And we have similar crises like that. Well, we have the similar predictions and forecasts what might happen with climate change, how it will put pressure on certain supply chains and companies. So companies have that information, but they rarely acted on that. So I think hopefully this is a trigger for many organizations now to reorganize themselves, to be a little bit more redundant, to have redundant supply chains or to be a little bit more flexible for when the next crisis hits. So what you're telling me here is that if you want to evolve, it's the business model that needs to evolve more than the actual product or service. Uh, yes, I think if you're today active in the say, event business, travel industry, hospitality, you, you just there's no way around. You have to rethink your business models or you have to redesign how you operate. Uh, but then there's a next layer and there's a little bit more more diffuse. So if, if let's say if you're an insurer today, 
uh, an insurance company interacts with almost every possible industry. That means that companies, insurance will, will interact with, a, with uh, travel companies and, and tourism and hotels. If they don't adapt their service to the changes that are happening in the other industry, then of course the insurance company will also be affected. But at the same time, the same insurance company is also interacting with um, uh, health suppliers, pharmaceutical companies, and those companies are doing quite well today. So. I, I wouldn't focus on like every company should follow the same procedure now or the same approach, but being flexible, knowing how to innovate, knowing how to experiment and redesign your business model, I think that should be a skill that every company should should have in-house because if, if they need to redesign something, they need to have that skill in-house to do so. You point out that when it comes to how we perceive things, 60% of what will make us feel normal is rushing the kids off to school in the morning, the traffic jam that follows, and visiting the dentist. Are you sure we want to return to normal? Yeah. I don't think many people <laughs> will actually want that old world. They think there's more comment and more feedback coming up. Like, this, we had a lot of problems in our society, and then this crisis made it uh, quite visible. Uh, so just reverting everything and trying to get back to the old way of working, uh, probably that's not a good thing. And uh, to give a practical example, many people started working from home. Uh, there was a change in interaction with, like, as an employer and employee, you interact in a different way. Uh, at first, in the first, first few weeks, I assumed that it would create a lot of extra stress and tension. So even having seeing an extra peak at a therapist or something, because it creates extra stress and maybe an extra push for, for burnout. But actually, in the last few weeks, I talked with several therapists and people in that space, and they actually showed me the, that the opposite was true. Because for many people, um, they, the fact that everybody knows there are more important things than maybe having the perfect slide deck to present to your clients tomorrow, there are more urgent things you need to manage a pandemic, that also took away a lot of pressure to, to be 24-7 uh, higher performance or something, or, or checking in every single hour. Many organizations... The pressure was a little bit off. People could stay at home. They could work in their own time when it, when it fits for them. They can be more flexible with their kids. And uh, for many people, it even took away some of the pressure on their job, knowing that they could improvise a little bit more. There was uh, people, managers were less critical about actual outputs today. There are more urgent things to manage in the crisis. So therapists noted that many people with a potential burnout even saw it as an opportunity now to have a couple of months of a, of a break. This is, of course, not universal. There are definitely people that, that had to uh, work really hard at home with three kids in a small apartment. Uh, but overall, the feedback that I got from several therapists now was that people with this potential burnout and stress even had some slack off or some uh, took distress, took some pressure of those people away. And those people will not go back to normal. They will realize they, if their job was giving, giving them too much stress or tension, those people might find a new employer or a new type of job knowing that they actually they are showing that there's more flexibility in the market that might be another solution for them instead of going back to the old normal. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas all by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.